From the EPR Creation Studio, this is Jason Staples bringing you the Unconquered Podcast. As always, this podcast brought to you by EPR Creations, bringing you the best of website development and internet marketing for an affordable price. There's going to be a little bit of a late preview here. This has been one heck of a week, and I'm going to keep it shorter because I'm assuming that uh, there's just not a whole lot of time left for most people to be listening to, say, an hour-long preview of this. So I'm just going to work my way through the the high points and the low points here, not get too granular. But first things first, this is another game where Florida State really shouldn't be favored, but absolutely can win this game. And I think that's going to be true really of the last three games of the season. Florida State could win each and all of those final three games particularly if they keep playing the way that they've ultimately been playing with Jordan Travis on the field, with Mackenzie Milton at quarterback at this point. I don't think they got a shot against any of these three. But with Travis recovered and in the lineup, as long as he's healthy and playing for these final three games, Florida State can win any of these three. Could win all of these three and make a bowl. But probably not odds-on to win any of the three. So it's a it's a really interesting situation that 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 they're in at this point in the season. And here they're playing a pretty talented Miami team. I mean, this Miami team has more talent overall on the roster than Florida State and this might be the first year that you could that you could say that in a good long time. Maybe last year, but before that, I mean, it was what a decade at least since Miami was as talented as Florida State. You think about 2020, takes you back to 2010. Yeah, probably 2010, maybe. 2009 would be around the last time that Miami was the more talented team. Well, they are the more talented team in this game. game. I don't think there's a whole lot of doubt about that, especially since they've found a quarterback. Miami has also played one of the toughest schedules in the country, if not the toughest. I mean, opening with Bama in the opener, and that breaks most teams, and it did a number on Miami. Then Michigan State, and that's a Michigan State team that has turned out to be better than anybody thought when they started the year. Uh, when when you looked at Miami's schedule initially, like, oh, well, you know, they'll lose to Bama, but you know they got a decent shot against Michigan State. Well, Michigan State, pretty good football team. Pitt, who they beat. NC State, who they beat. They've, they've, got, they've played some teams. And so this is a pretty battle-tested Miami team, even though they, they're, they're younger now than they were early in the year. And they've, uh, they've struggled with motivation. They've struggled with some chemistry stuff. They've struggled at different points this year. They really hadn't found themselves until after, until really the second half of the Miami game, or the uh, UNC game, which we'll talk about in a moment. But it took a while for them to really discover kind of their identity and who they are. But since they've done that, they've been on a tear, and they are red hot right now. Uh, they, they, uh, this is a different Miami team than they were a month ago. A month ago, I would have picked Florida state to beat this team by 10 points. And this is, this is a different team. I mean, think about it this way. A, a month ago, the same UNC team that Florida state dominated up front and really took it to North Carolina physically. That same North Carolina team went out and beat Miami 38-34 a week later. And they jumped out on Miami big time in the first half and basically held on to win. But 
here's the thing. In that game, Miami figured out who they were. They found themselves in the second half. That was a game where actually it's kind of unfortunate for everybody else on the schedule, but Miami's uh, Miami's top running back remaining on the roster got hurt and and went out in that game, which then allowed Jalen Knighton to get more more time. And Knighton is by far the the more dangerous back and ultimately the better back. And so they've been better there. And then Van Dyke, they kind of took the training wheels off once they got down in that game by enough. And he started slinging the ball around the field and they started figuring out that this guy can actually really throw the rock and that, you know, he can stretch the field and make big time throws. And, you know, funny thing is that he's not even the quarterback that they thought would be the guy after, after King. So, I mean, they, they figured that, uh, that after this year, Jake Garcia, who was their sort of the crown jewel of their recruiting class last year, that Jake Garcia would be the guy and coming into the year, he was the, he was going to be the backup and then he got hurt. And so Van Dyke, this unproven guy, guy that they weren't all that excited about moves up the depth chart. And then Derek King goes down and he takes over and yeah, it was a rough sailing that first game they lost to Virginia. And then the next game they lost to North Carolina. But like I said, the, the, the switch flicked, they flipped that switch in the second half. And all of a sudden they've been on a tear ever since. And they beat NC state the next week, beat Pitt the next week after that and Georgia tech last week. So, I mean, those are three good football teams, or at least two good football teams, and then another that doesn't necessarily beat itself, a team that you actually have to go out there and beat. So NC State and Pitt, those are legitimately good football teams. And they went out and they they won each of those. So, yeah, this is a very different Miami team than what it was just a month ago. And again, it's it, they're yet another example of how football at this point, the way the game is played, the way that the rules work and everything else, football basically boils down to it's a quarterback's game. If you don't have a quarterback that can really play, that's it. And, you know, King rushed back from that injury last year and he was not the same player early this year. And he, I mean, he, he was limited as a player in in many respects, even last year before the injury. And they were, they were a bad football team. And then all of a sudden they find a guy that they're able to do some things with down the field who all of a sudden is able to, to distribute the ball to some of the weapons that they've got out wide. Charleston Rambo, the, the transfer from Oklahoma. Again, Jalen Knighton, Xavier Restrepo. Then you've, of course, got Mike Harley, who's been there for roughly 12 years. Uh, you've got a, a variety of guys that all of a sudden those guys, you realize, oh, wow, they've, they've got some talent on that field at the playmakers. They they got some guys that can hurt you. And it didn't look like that early in the year. They looked look pretty toothless on offense and then all of a sudden they get a quarterback and everything is unlocked. It's just the way that it works. And again, this is why I've harped on this, you know, going back to 2015 that Florida State's biggest problem really ultimately since Jameis Winston left has been the quarterback position. They have not had the kind of quarterback that you need to be able to win consistently in college football. And until you get that on your roster, and until you've got that guy out there and developing and, and making plays, you're going to have a hard time. Now, Jordan Travis, 
has actually been closer to that guy this year. I mean, look at the difference with Travis in the lineup versus Travis out of the lineup. Travis misses last week against NC State, and that looks like the offense that played against Jacksonville State. After looking completely different each of the weeks that that Travis had played prior to that. Where once Travis was healthy, once Travis was out there and, and leading that offense, Florida State looked like a completely different team. And so, I mean, again, that that's that's kind of what's happened to Miami, where once Van Dyke took over, he's kind of been their Jordan Travis. Not to say he doesn't have some weak areas still as a as a young quarterback, as a freshman, as a guy a redshirt freshman, as a guy who can actually uh make the big throws, but again, you can you can potentially trick him. There's some things you can do where he's still he's still developing. But man, it makes a difference when you got a guy that can actually make plays. And that's that's one of the things that he can do. Now, breaking this down, if we look at the Florida State defense versus the Miami offense, and this segment brought to you by Lewis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida. If you have any real estate needs in the greater Jacksonville area, please give Lewis a call. And if you're a realtor from somewhere else, and you know that someone needs to needs to buy a home or list a home in Jacksonville, refer him to Lewis. Let him know that, again, let Lewis know that you heard about him from the Unconquered podcast and that you know that he's as good as it comes in the Jacksonville area, and that's why you're referring somebody to him. But when we look at this matchup against the Miami offense, and this is a concerning matchup for me, Florida State's defense has gotten a lot better over the course of the year. There's no question. I mean, they made NC State earn it last week with uh, with basically three plays that cost them that game, as we talked about uh, in the uh, Hot Takes podcast immediately following that. Three plays cost them that game. And they've they've really gotten that much better to where they're they're competing with good offenses and they're limiting good offenses and forcing those good offenses to earn stuff, to earn what they get. Now, again, you tackle better on two plays, all of a sudden you're in that ballgame. Might win that ballgame. We'll see if they can continue to develop there. But Miami, offensively, they are, this is a Rhett Lashley offense. Rhett is a guy I, I like a lot, actually. I, I've uh, spent a little bit of time chatting with Rhett in, in the past. And I think he's a really good coach. I think he's a good football mind. Uh, he's a guy who, like Mike Norvell, is off of the Malzahn tree offensively and has built off of that Malzahn tree. He's got his own sort of approach on this, so some differences compared to Norvell. Norvell has kind of mixed more pro-style type stuff in his offense when he actually runs his offense the way that he wants to run it. Uh, so it's a little bit different trajectory to how uh, Lashley does it, where Lashley is has focused more on true kind of up-tempo spread as the focus. But a lot of similar aspects, trying to challenge you vertically, trying to spread you, challenge you vertically, some creativity in the running game. They're a little less creative in the running game than a good bit less creative in the running game than than Florida State. I mean, that's that's a hallmark of of Norvell is that he is very creative in finding different uh, blocking angles and all sorts of things and, and doing a lot with his offensive line in, in, in schematically in the running game to get gaps and to to basically create big plays for his backs. Miami does a little less of that. They're they're going to focus a little bit more on the passing side of the spread offense schematically 
and then depend on their quarterback having some mobility to be able to make some plays in the running game. That's traditionally what they've done with Lashley, and that's what they're going to do with Van Dyke. And Van Dyke can run now. He's a guy, he, he looks like he shouldn't be able to run. I mean, he's a pretty big guy, kind of looks stiff. And then he gets out there and runs, and you go, oh, he can, he can actually move. He's probably a 4'7 type guy. So you can't just treat him as a, as a statue. That said, he's a guy that, given the way that they like to run this offense, he's a guy that if you can move him off his spot, his ability to hurt you in the passing game pretty significantly changes. That's got to be the focus in this game for Florida State is, first of all, they, you've got to find a way to, to get him throwing when he has to throw, which means that you've got to stop the run. But when he's actually dropping back to throw, they're going to have to find ways to move him off his spot and have him throwing where it's, it's clean, it's, or where it's not clean, it's messy. It's, you know, he's having to throw from other, other spaces. Now, their offense is, again, and it has been since Lashley has been there, and to some degree this is going all the way to the Malzahn-type thing, is very boom or bust. And this is one of the benefits, actually, of the way that Norvell has kind of done his own fork of the, of the Malzahn system, is a lot of what he's done has been to try to reduce the, the variance that is in that offense. So with the run game creativity, you get more consistency, but they're very boom and bust. They've they, they've basically had massive halves of great success where they score a bunch of points and then other halves where they disappear. And you can see this in, in, you know, you just go back and you watch two games since Van Dyke has taken over and you can see this. They against Pitt, started the football game with three straight touchdowns in the first quarter and then a punt and a field goal. So they got 24 points in the first, in the first half, just on those first uh, five drives. And then they scored once in the second half. They wound up, they wound up scoring one time the remainder of the game. So scored four of their first five possessions and then only scored once the remainder of the game. That's a, that's a big difference. And the reverse happened against North Carolina. They went into the half down big. And then in the second half, they came out and just caught fire and very nearly came back and won that game. So this is a team where if they start getting the offense moving and they start getting comfortable, they can put up 60. I mean, they this is, and you know, a lot of people think, momentum is the sort of thing that you, you know, it's a fake thing and oh, there's no momentum. It's just, you know, play different plays or whatever. First of all, I don't, I don't agree with that. But secondly, this is the kind of offense that is a momentum offense because of how much they like to push the pace. I mean, this is Florida state fans will remember when Kendall Bryles is at Florida state two years ago in Kendall Bryles offense. If they can start, if you can get a, that first first down and they can start start getting moving and they're going warp speed, all of a sudden that defense is on its heels and then that's when you start seeing those big plays happen. And you're seeing this at Arkansas, right? At Arkansas, they'll score 30 against a good defense one week and then they'll play Georgia and get shut out, right? It's boom or bust. Now, of course, it is Georgia, but the point still stands. 
that if they can get rolling just a little bit, if that snowball starts moving just a little bit, then look out. They're going to find they're going to find ways to force you to to go vanilla with their with their pace, to cover in space, and they're going to be able to they're going to be able to uh, find some pressure points to to make things difficult for your defense. But if you can stop that first first down from happening, if you can they're they're going to be a fast three and out and they can start piling up three and outs and all of a sudden the momentum turns against them. So so much about defending this Miami team is about basically keeping them from getting in that rhythm, which means you have to win first down and especially the first first down of any drive. You really need to, you need to win that first first down because if you can get them in long yardage and you can get them in long yardage third and long on their first first down before they can start really going fast. That's when you start seeing their offense bogged down. So a lot of what you're doing, if if you're Adam Fuller, you're you're taking a, a long look at what their tendencies are on first down and on the first plays of drives so that you can try to call plays against plays and scheme a little bit to try to get some explosive or to create some havoc, some havoc plays to prevent them from being able to get into situations where they can create explosive plays. That's what you're doing. So to me, this game really boils down to a few things on this side of the ball. First of all, you have to to make them one-dimensional by controlling the line of scrimmage enough that you're not giving up chunk plays, you know, six, seven-yard plays on first down in the running game. You've got to find ways to limit them in the running game there because if they're if they're two-dimensional, you I don't think you have a shot to win this game. You've got to find ways to limit them in that department. And secondly, you have to make sure that you're not giving up a bunch of chunk plays, particularly vertical routes in the passing game. You've got to force them. You've got to, to limit things enough with your front to force them to throw the football a little bit. And then you've got to force them to execute down the field with that true, with that uh, redshirt freshman quarterback. And that's going to mean you don't let the, a couple guys that, that, in addition to to Rambo, who you have to really worry about downfield because he's been a, he's been a, a terror downfield since Van Dyke took over. The other guys that I think you really have to be concerned about in this game are first of all, Knighton is a really good receiver out of the backfield, and they love to do, to use him on wheels and different things that get him with the ball down the field in coverage against a, a linebacker who can't run with him because Knighton can fly. You've got to find ways to make sure that you don't end up with the wrong matchup where a guy's trying to run with him down the sideline and you've just got no shot. So first of all, you've got to be aware of where those matchups are and make sure that your that your secondary is in position to to handle that. Secondly, Will Mallory is a solid tight end threat and and he's going to be a guy that you that they have to be conscious of given some of the issues with that they've had with with linebackers and and giving up some plays to tight ends earlier in the year. That's something to keep an eye on. Although I, I think they've been significantly better at that since they've figured out their secondary alignment or their arrangement uh, personnel-wise that they have now, where you've got Jamie Robinson at one safety, you've got Dent at another, and then you've got uh, Knowles at the at the nickel. I think they've gotten significantly better in coverage in the secondary since they've gone to that as their default lineup. Partly because Robinson does a, does such so much better job covering 
backs out of the backfield, tight ends and those sorts of things in that boundary safety role and really has has helped that defense in terms of some of the things that he's able to do from that spot. So to me, those things are key. And, you know, they're going to challenge Florida State's secondary down the field on one-on-one balls. And, and the thing is, Van Dyke throws those so well that you better cover them really well and you have Florida State's going to have to play the ball better and finish better on those one-on-ones or again they're just going to give up some chunk plays and that's the thing that you're you're not going to be able to do if you want to win this game. Now, one final thing on this side of the ball. It's turnovers. Miami has played four games in which they've turned it over more than more than twice or where they've been worse than minus 2. So four games where they've been in the negative turnover margin, and in each of those, they were minus two or worse. Minus two against Bama, minus four against Michigan State. You can kind of throw those out because Kang was was playing quarterback there. But UNC and Georgia Tech, they were minus two in each of those as well. So two out of their last four games, they were negative on the turnover battle. And for out of those four weeks, by the way, they've lost three of those four. Now, they beat Georgia Tech last week despite three fumbles that were recovered by Georgia tech and being minus two in the turnover battle, which is why that game was as close as it was. But North Carolina intercepted Van Dyke three times and they went minus two against North Carolina. That's what the biggest reason they lost that game. If Florida state can cause just enough discomfort and confusion to force a couple interceptions against Van Dyke, I like their chances. So a lot of this is going to come down to how well they're able to stop the run cause enough discomfort for the young quarterback to to potentially lead to a loose throw or two, and then just don't give up those vertical routes and chunk plays in the in the passing game. You can't give up the the three big plays like you did against uh, NC State that ultimately cost you those that game. You, if they do that again, you're going to be talking about the same stuff on the Hot Takes podcast. Now flip it over to the other side of the ball, and this side of the ball brought to you by Shenandoah Newsma of Keller Williams Realty in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. You can find her at shenrealestate.com. That's S-H-E-N, realestate.com. Tell her you heard about her from the Unconquered Podcast. She's the best in the business in the Research Triangle of North Carolina. If you've got anybody who needs anything or needs to list a place in that region, let her know know where you heard about her. So on this side of the ball, this is the Florida State offense versus the Miami defense. (sighs) If I had to list Florida State's strengths offensively, I would say on the year, it's basically been finding ways to run the football and create chunk plays, particularly in the in the running game. It's what they've been able to do. And if you look at Miami's defensive weaknesses, it's first and foremost tackling. And this goes back, you know, to last year and beyond. And you go back and watch North Carolina the North Carolina game last year against Miami, where North Carolina ran for like six hundred yards. And you can see this has not been a good tackling Miami team in quite a while. And they're, they're really bad tackling (laughs) this year too. So they're not so good at tackling. And as a result, partly as a result, they're not very good stopping the run and they give up a bunch of chunk plays. So Miami's defensive weaknesses align with Florida state's offensive strengths remarkably well, which leads you to have some optimism about Florida state's chances of being able to score some points in this game. Now, the sticky wicket here is not only Travis, you know, how how healthy he's feeling and all that. 
I, I think he's fine. But how healthy is Florida State's offensive line? Will their offensive line be even close to full strength? Because Miami's defensive line, as bad as they've been in terms of stopping the run on the year, they were able to limit Pittsburgh to, what, 3.1 yards per, uh, yards per rush? And that pit, pit, pit offense can run. They, they've, they've been able to run the football in pretty much all year. They limited Pitt's rushing offense. They've found ways at different points to show that they got some players up front. They've got some defensive tackles. I mean, Nesta Silvera, we've all seen what he can do. They've got guys on the defensive line that can give you problems. So Florida State's offensive line is trotting Brady Scott and, you know, another backup out there at the guard positions, they're in trouble. They're not winning that game, likely, with, with that situation. If they have Dylan Gibbon, Gibbons and, say, Babyon Johnson at, at guard, they can win this game. I think Gibbons really probably needs... They probably need Gibbons to play and to be reasonably effective in order to win this game. If they're not effective, if they're not able to block at the guard positions, they're not winning the game. Because all of a sudden, Miami's biggest we- biggest weakness, stopping the run, is less of a weakness because Florida State's biggest weakness on the offensive side, which is offensive line depth, basically negates that. So, so much of this game on that side of the ball comes down to who's going to be in the starting lineup and who who can actually who can actually go and how strong are they actually going to be able to play on the offensive line? Will Florida State have all their pieces? That we don't know. Now, Miami does have a few other pieces that are banged up in the secondary. I mean, they're arguably their two most talented players on the whole defensive side are banged up right now. So we'll see how healthy they are and how much they're able to do. But that that does help. But to me, this game on this side of the ball really does ultimately boil down to will Florida State be able to block Miami's defensive line well enough to be able to take advantage of some of Miami's tackling issues and issues fitting gaps and doing all that stuff. If they can do it, then they're going to be in position to win this game. And and of course that does look very different with Travis on the field than with say Mackenzie Milton. Because, you know, when Milton's out there, teams can kind of get after you more up front than when Travis is out there where they have to be much more cautious and Miami's defensive line is good, but they're not Clemson. So we'll see, we'll see how that goes. But, Last couple weeks have been a bit of a reality check for Florida State up front as they played really good defensive lines and really haven't been able to uh, to do a whole lot against them. And in this game, they're going to need their best guys to be out there off- offensively on the offensive line to be able to block them well enough to be able to score points. So, so much of the game boils down to that simple thing. Now, overall, and this overall analysis brought to you by Garage Makeovers, the best garage remodeling company in South Florida. Their information's in the show notes. If you want the best garage in your neighborhood and you live in in Broward or Palm Beach County, then you give the biscuit a call. Let them know you heard about them from the Unconquered Podcast. Overall, to me, this game boils down to the following. Florida State's going to have to score points to win this game because Miami's going to score points. This offense, this Miami offense with Van Dyke making big-time throws down the field is going to score points. Question is, how much can Florida State's defense negate some of those points by controlling the line of scrimmage and limit those points by controlling the line of, line of scrimmage and maybe forcing a turnover or two? Miami could win this game without 
a whole lot of running game. Florida State can't. Florida State has to control the line of scrimmage on at least the offensive side of the ball enough to be able to run the football with some effectiveness in order to win this game. Now, Florida State, as long as they have their offensive line more or less intact on the interior, they should be able to run the ball. Now, the other thing with that, and I didn't mention this in the uh, in the offense versus defense side of things, but the other thing that you got to think about is, again, with Jordan Travis, how many shot plays are you going to be able to hit? They can hit a couple shot plays down the field, particularly if both of those score. Then they're in position, but they're going to need that. They're going to need to be able to run the football, and they're going to be need to be able to win on a couple key shot plays. Are you able to get a cheapie to be able to win this game? The reason that I'm not super optimistic about this game is because I, I think you probably have to score about 34. That's kind of your, your magic numbers over 30 here. And I think you probably have to score like 34 to win this game because of how Miami's offense has been playing. That's, that's just the assumption that I carry into this. And back when I was coaching, uh, one of the things that we used to, we used to do as a staff is we would talk about like, look, offensively, we need to score this many points against this team or we're not winning defensively. We, we have to limit them to this or we're not winning. We, we would talk about that as a staff. Like, look, based on what we're seeing on, on tape, we don't think we can limit them. We don't think we can hold them under this. So you guys are going to have to score with this level of efficiency or we're not going to win. So we would talk about that. This is a game where, to me, if I'm, if I'm looking at this and I'm looking at the, at the players and the way that, that, these games have, that these teams have looked and the way that the games have gone in the, in the last month, I think Florida State's going to have to score over 30, probably around 34 to win the game. And even there, in order to, to, to be able to win that, the defense is going to have to finish well enough in the secondary that they don't give up more than that. And just when you combine Miami's clear strength and they're building this strength in the vertical passing game against Florida State's difficulties, we might say, against vertical routes on the year, that doesn't leave you optimistic. So I'm not super thrilled. I'm not super optimistic about this matchup. I would have been a month ago. But I think some things have changed pretty significantly over the past month. And I think ultimately Miami should be favored to win this game. Now, on the flip side, you are facing a redshirt freshman quarterback who's in his fifth start. And you are playing against a defense that really doesn't like to hit and has not been all that disciplined in gap uh, in gap assignments and all of this. And these are all things that Florida State really should be licking its chops on. So given that, you like your chances in that respect. Can you find a way to make that freshman quarterback make freshman mistakes? Can you take advantage of that defense and its sort of hot-cold nature can you find a way to get Miami to keep Miami from racing out to an early lead so that they can't get momentum and then maybe you depend on that defense to run cold long enough for you to be able to start imposing your will on them I think there's a chance that that's the way this game goes like I said I'm not super optimistic about that though so ultimately my call on this what I'm not comfortable with and we talked about this all season I think this is a, a difficult to project Florida State team against basically everybody that they're playing. But best I got, the best uh, based on running this all through my my stuff, 
I'm going to go with Miami winning this game 33 to 30. And I'm putting this at about a 48% chance of a Florida State win. So we'll see how that goes. I mean, I, I, I think, like I said, 48% is not, I mean, that's real close to, to a coin flip. I'm going to favor Miami because of their, you know, more reliable downfield passing attack so far. But again, Jordan Travis at quarterback has shown that he can, he can do enough things to, to help Florida State help make some of those guys around him look that much better. And we'll see whether or not he's, he's ultimately the difference. He's enough of a difference on the Florida State side to, to turn this into a win. Either way, I will be back after the game to give my immediate hot takes. Until then, this has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. The Unconquered Podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, ShenRealEstate.com in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Garage Makeovers of Palm Beach and Broward County, and the Unconquered Podcast shop at UnconqueredPodcast.com, which features stickers, magnets, and other seminal gear. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. I'm especially grateful to those above the dynasty level, that is Andrew Garrett, Brian Leininger, Jonathan Kennedy, Lee Caswell, Travis Smith, Tyler Kashishki, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, post us on social media, and tell a friend. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this.